One of the most stirring scenes for me in all of Scripture is found at the tail end of the book of Deuteronomy. And it's Moses' final hike. Moses' final hike. He sets out for a hike up Mount Pisgah, also called Mount Nebo. And Moses sets out on the hike in obedience to what the Lord has told him to do. There on the edge of the promised land, the Lord had told Moses, you're not going in. He would promised that much earlier because of Moses' sin. He said, you can't go into the promised land. And so there on the edge, the people were ready to go, and the Lord said, Moses, now's your time. Climb up Mount Pisgah, and there on the top of the mountain you will die. And so Moses set out. I think it's a fascinating thing to imagine Moses on that hike, step after step, getting closer to the summit, not turning around. He's 120 years old. <laughs> He'd spent 40 years in the wilderness with a stubborn and sinful people. I mean, a president only, only is in office for eight, 40 years. Scripture says he was still strong in body, but one wonders if, if he might have been weary in spirit. We don't know. But he's climbing the mountain in obedience to the Lord, step after step, closer to his, his death. Our passage this morning involves a similar scene. Our Savior Jesus, getting ever closer to the cross, ever approaching his death, and he was prepared for it. Like Moses, he, he knew every step he was taking was one step closer to his death, and yet he kept walking. Jesus was prepared for his death. We're going to see that this morning in Mark chapter 14, if you want to turn there with me. Mark 14, and we're going to begin in verse 12. We'll read verses 12 through 31. Mark 14, beginning in verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. 
And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning with a sense of our need for your word and our need for Jesus. We come with minds and hearts in all kinds of different places. We've had all kinds of different weeks with any number of difficulties and enigmas on our mind. And I ask, Father, that as we come to your word, you would show us Jesus and that you would refresh our hearts in him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I and a few folks from the church went on a whitewater rafting trip with the Barrows and a few of their friends, and, uh, and it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. And one of the things that you want on a whitewater rafting trip is a guide you can trust. And we had guides you can trust. Some of those guides up on the Kennebec, they're like 18, 19, right? And they've, a few years younger than me, Dean. But they've only done, they've only done the Kennebec. Maybe, maybe they're just a new guide that year. You never know with those companies. The guides we had, they've been doing the Kennebec for 25 years. They know that river like the back of your hand. And of course, I knew that about the guides we were going with. Um, But even if you didn't know that beforehand, immediately, as as soon as you got in the boat, because up at the Kennebec, you go right into the rapids. It's right there. You get in the boat and boom. And but as soon as you get in the boat, you know that guide is prepared. You know it. And the way you know the guide is prepared is that at every step, he's preparing you for what's next. And they've got weird names for the rapids up there, but he'll, he'll say, all right, around this next, next corner is the rapid called Big Mama, right? <laughs> or the Big Kahuna, right? They've got all kinds of cr- crazy names for it. But be ready. This is a class three and a half rapid. And I'm going to turn the boat, and so the left side's going to get wet this time, all right? And then go around the corner. There's a giant rapid. He turns the boat. Left side gets wet. You know the guide's prepared because he's preparing you, right? And every time he says something's going to happen, it happens. And that's actually exactly what we're going to see in this passage this morning. 
Jesus was prepared for the cross. He knew exactly what was coming around every corner. And we can see that because he's preparing his disciples. He says, this is what's going to happen. That's what happens. All right. So we're going to see Jesus prepare the disciples in a number of ways. The first thing Jesus prepares his disciples for is the Passover. It's the Passover. Verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb his disciples said to him where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover he sent two of his disciples and said to them this is sort of a cryptic command listen to this go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you follow him and wherever he enters say to the master of the house the teacher says where is my guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there. Prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. They prepared for the Passover. So already you see Jesus is preparing the disciples. And he's, he's showing he, he's already thinking multiple steps ahead. Right? The disciples are... Well, they're entering Jerusalem right on the feast of the Passover. They're wondering, all right, Jesus, this is a high festival. We're not going to skip this one. Where are we going to do it? And Jesus says, right, I got it taken care of. Right? Um, and in, in a sort of miraculous way, he says, you're just going to see someone with a water jar. First person you see with a water jar, there must have been thousands of people with water jars walking around Jerusalem that day. Right? Follow the guy with a water jar, and he'll bring you to the house. And they'll have a room. And it was exactly as, his, as he said. So already in this seemingly innocuous thing, Jesus is kind of showing his hand. Jesus was prepared for what was to come. This wasn't catching him by surprise. It'll help us to have a little background on Passover. Passover was one of the high feasts of the Jewish calendar. Faithful Jews that follow the old covenant law still celebrate Passover every year. And and Passover had to do with a celebration of God's deliverance of the people from Egypt, right? We're talking about this in our, our Exodus study in Sunday school, um, that the final plague, which we haven't gotten to yet, but the final plague uh, was that God actually killed all the firstborn sons of Egypt, which sounds harsh, but what had happened was that Pharaoh was holding Israel hostage, Israel is God's firstborn son. And Pharaoh says, no, 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 this is mine. And, and what the, the Lord does is, all right, you're going to hold my firstborn son. I'm going to take your firstborn son. After many warnings, right, Pharaoh displayed extreme stubbornness. And eventually that's the final plague. Um, and it's a really sort of somber thing. But what the Lord told Israel to do on that night, this, this judgment's going to happen, but what Israel was told to do was to slaughter a lamb, to eat the lamb that night, and to take the blood of the lamb and to, to put it on the doorposts, on the, on the frame of the door, so that the Lord would pass over those houses, right? So that the blood of the lamb actually covered them, right? It kept them from the wrath of God. And that's what the people celebrated at Passover. And it's actually a, it's a joyful thing. It's God's delivering us, right? Because then immediately after that night, Pharaoh said, I don't want you here anymore. Right? Get out. Uh, and they left. So the disciples are getting ready for a, a party. Right? This is exciting. This is Passover. God saved us from, 
from Egypt. They're excited. The disciples have set out. They're preparing the room. We pick up. We're in the room now. And, and the next thing Jesus is going to prepare his disciples for is he's going to prepare them for his betrayal. He's going to prepare them for Judas to betray him. This is another thing where Jesus is looking around the corner. He sees, all right, this is what's next. Disciples, get ready. Verse 17, and when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. It's sort of been a bombshell around this table. These, these disciples have been traveling with Jesus for years. This is basically their family at this point. And they're looking around this, this intimate table where Actually, Jesus says later, it's one of the 12, one who's dipping bread into the dish with me. And at this, the Middle Eastern table, there'd be this common dish in the center um, with sort of the main course, and they'd all have bread and break off little pieces of bread and dip the bread into the same dish like a, like a utensil um, and then eat the bread with, with the food that was on it. And so they're literally eating off the same plate. They're reclining at table and Jesus says, one of you, it's going to be one of you. One of you will betray me. In verse 19, the disciples reacted as you might expect. They began to be sorrowful. And to say to him, one after another, is it I? Is it, is it me, Jesus? He said to them, it's one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. This is a somber scene. It's one we're familiar with. But if we were to consider it with fresh eyes, we, we might be prone to ask, why isn't Jesus doing anything about it? Right? You may think, well, if, if I was in that situation, maybe the first thing I would do is say, hey, John, could you go shut the door? And uh, Matthew, could you get a, a length of rope and Thomas, could you please tie up Judas in the corner so he can't get up to any mischief? Because not only did Jesus know he was going to be betrayed, he knew that it was Judas who was going to betray him. And not only did he know the specifics, we learn in John's gospel that when it was time, Jesus actually told Judas, go, what you're about to do, do quickly. Jesus actually, not only did he allow it to happen, he told Judas, go, betray me. Why? It, it doesn't make any sense to a carnal mind. It's like, it goes against every law of self-preservation. What is Jesus up to here? And we're going to have that question answered for us as Jesus prepares his disciples for what's to come. The, the first part of the answer comes in verse 21, where Jesus tells the disciples, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Son of Man goes as it is written of him. By Son of Man, he's referring to himself. He's saying, What's about to happen to me 
isn't just the result of random chance. This is actually written. He's referring to the Old Testament. He's referring to the prophets who foretold that a Messiah would come. And not only that the Messiah would save his people, but that the Messiah would suffer for his people. Turn to Isaiah 53 if you want to. Isaiah 53. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior who's going to save his people. What's Messiah going to be like? Isaiah 53 verse 4. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like those Passover lambs sacrificed. That's what Messiah is going to be like. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And so Jesus at the table with his betrayer looking him in the eyes. Opened not his mouth. And when he opened his mouth he said Judas what you're going to do do quickly. Jesus was prepared for the cross because the cross was in the eternal plan of God, revealed through the prophets and now being fulfilled before the disciples' eyes. Son of man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Here, as kind of a side note, you see the absolute sovereignty of God and the absolute responsibility of man at work in the same scene. Where Judas, from before time itself, the Lord knew it was Judas who would have betrayed him, was going to betray him, right? Isaiah 53, we're talking about Judas's betrayal. And yet the sin of man, God is not the author of the sin of man. Right? God knew what Judas would do and used it for his eternal plan of salvation through Christ. And yet Judas died for his own sin. The son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. God is sovereign over the events of history, but we as humans are responsible for our own sin. And apart from from the forgiveness and the reconciliation we can find in Christ, we are responsible for it. So Jesus prepared his disciples for the Passover. He prepared his disciples for him to be betrayed. Third, we're going to see that Jesus prepared his disciples to understand the meaning of his death. Jesus prepared his disciples for his sacrificial death. Verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This passage in some ways is like the Pledge of Allegiance. Maybe you memorized it when you were a kid and you said the words over and over and over again. And probably in kindergarten you didn't even know what they meant. 
right? You didn't know what a, uh, what a pledge allegiance was, right? And so these words, in a similar way, can become very familiar to us, right? These words of institution, we, we hear them every month when we celebrate the Lord's table together. And so to us, they sound almost natural. Well, of course, it's the Lord's Supper. That's what Jesus would say. But imagine yourself in the disciples' head for a second, right? At the Passover table, Jesus sort of taking the role of the head of the family is the one passing the food out. He breaks the bread. As he's handing it around, he says, take, eat the bread. This is my body. You'd be confused if I said that, if I had you over to lunch, right? It's, it's a weird thing to say at the dinner table. Take, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. My guess is that the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't understand yet the significance of Christ's death. I'm not sure they fully grasped even that Christ had to die. And I think we see this on display at the end of Luke's gospel, the road to Emmaus, right? Christ has been raised from the dead, but he appears to the disciples in, uh, in disguise on the road. And he's asking them about everything that's happened. And remember what they said. They said, we thought he was the Christ. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. But then he died. Right? We thought he was the Messiah, but how can the Messiah die? They still hadn't gotten it. They didn't understand that the Messiah had to die. But I imagine in the days after his resurrection, in those weeks, as they were waiting for the Spirit to fall at Pentecost, as Jesus was teaching them, these words took on new meaning as they thought back to that supper on the night before Christ died. Take, this is my body. Jesus was talking about the cross. Jesus was talking about the necessity of his broken body and his spilled blood. Notice what he says about his death on the cross. Verse 24, he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for, for what reason? For many. For many. Jesus knew that his death was actually going to go to serve to the benefit of many. And we're actually helped here that we have more than one gospel. No single gospel, and in fact, not even all four Gospels can contain all the words that Jesus said, right? John says as much at the end of his Gospel. He says, there's so many, there's no, it could, there's no end to the books that could be written about what Jesus said. So each of the Gospel writers had to choose which, which words, which teachings to include and which not to. So Matthew and Luke both record uh, other things Jesus said on this occasion that Mark doesn't record. Luke records that as Jesus was breaking the bread and handing out the cup, that he said, Here's, this bread is my body broken, this cup is my, my blood spilled for, not for many, but for you. He personalizes it and he points at the disciples, this is for you. 
What's about to happen, my death on the cross, this is for you. It's for us too, all of us who've believed, all of us who are his disciples. And then Matthew goes a step further. Matthew records that, that Jesus said, this is my blood spilled for many for the forgiveness of sins. Right? He not only describes who the cross will benefit, but how the cross will benefit us. He says, this, this, my body broken, my blood spilled, the, the whole point is for the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. And I know, I know you, you understand how the math here works, but I'm going to explain it just because the gospel is good news, right? And we need to be reminded that the world reads those words for the forgiveness of sins and says, huh, we've lost the concept of sin. But it's essential if we're going to understand what Jesus did and how Jesus understood what he did on the cross. Right? Um, the, the essential, the central problem with the human race is not that we need to be better educated. It's not that we need to see a therapist. Those things can be good. The essential problem with the human race is that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. And that's the problem Jesus addressed here. Um, I heard, um, uh, oh gosh, think of his name, the Australian evangelist. Matt, you know him. Comfort, Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort, he does all this street evangelism. I heard him on the radio this week, and he said something that struck home. He's talking about sin and the consequences of sin. He said, God is a holy God, and God cannot stand sin in his presence. Right? That's, that's a scriptural truth. Right? God is a holy God. He cannot stand sin in his presence because God is a good God, and God made this world good, and God made humanity good, and God cannot stand to see his world corrupted. But, but comfort said, this is, a, this is a fixed law, right? God cannot stand sin in his presence. And that's, it sounds harsh, right? But there are harsh truths in the world, right? And, and comfort provided a couple examples. He said, you, you jump off a bridge, you're going to hit the bottom, right? You, you jump off a bridge, you're going to fall. You touch a stove, you're going to get burned. These are fixed laws. It's a harsh truth, right? But it's true. And it actually serves us to, to take these things seriously, right? If there's harsh truths, we ought to know about them. Amen. Our God is a holy God, but he's also a loving God. And so God in his holiness and his love, it would be just for all of us to die and go to hell, right? That's justice because of our sin. All have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. But God in love sent his son that Christ should die for our sins in our place on the cross, right? That, that Christ would take the wrath of God against our sins upon himself and bear it on the cross that we could be forgiven. This is the message of the gospel. This is the hope of the Christian, that because of the cross, we can be reconciled to God. That despite our sin, we can be forgiven. 
and enter again the presence of a loving God. But he returns to fellowship and to relationship with him. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Jesus prepared the disciples to understand the cross. They didn't yet, but they would soon. Then the scene shifts, verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I imagine it was probably warm in the upper room. They had lamps lit. I love that image of them singing a hymn before they left. It makes me think of our, our fellowship supper on Sunday night, singing hymns before we left. And what a warm, sweet time that was. And I assume it was for the disciples too. They sung a hymn. Love to hear what that hymn was. And then they left the warmth and the light of the upper room and went out into the cold and the night to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And after the warmth and the joy of the Passover celebration, right, God delivered us. Jesus again draws them back to the reality of the situation at hand. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus saw what was coming. First, Jesus prepared the disciples for Passover. Then he prepared them for his betrayal. Then he prepared them for the cross. Now he's, now he's preparing them for their own denial of Jesus. You will all fall away. And Peter, maybe still floating on the high of those hymns, had a little wine to drink. He's feeling good. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Peter, ever the bold one. Even though they all fall away, I will not, Jesus. Certainly not on this Passover night. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And not just Peter, right? They all said the same. Even if I have to die with you, Jesus. And of course, we know the rest of the story. They did all fall away. Peter did deny Jesus. Which then sort of begs the question, why did Jesus prepare them for this if they were going to fall away anyways? Why did Jesus tell them if, if they were going to fall away? I can think of a couple of reasons. First, again, it demonstrates that Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus had no illusions about what awaited him. He knew exactly what was going to happen at every step. He knew what was going to happen in the Father's plan. The second reason, I think, is for the comfort of the disciples. For the comfort of the disciples, not that night. I'm sure they were disturbed that night. Jesus, we saying we're going to deny you? We love you. We've been following you. No, for the next morning. Can you imagine being Peter that night and being saying, Jesus, Jesus, I'm never going to fall away, even if I have to die with you. And imagine Jesus hadn't told him, yeah, you will. I know you will. He, he would have been crushed. 
his heart would have been broken. Already his heart would have been, was broken in that, in that morning, but he was able to think back to the words that Jesus had said, right? That, that previous night, Peter, I know you're going to deny me, and I need you to know that I know, because I know and I'm not kicking you out, right? Elsewhere we read that Jesus said, but I have, Satan has demanded to sift you, right? But I have prayed for you, right? And that next morning, Peter was able to, to look back and see, Jesus was right, and I am weak, but to rest in his love, nonetheless. We can rest in a similar way in God's sovereignty, right? He knows our weakness. He's well acquainted with our weaknesses. Um, doesn't make our sin any less sin. Right? Didn't make Peter's denial any less denial, right? We know that even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us despite ourselves. And we need not worry when we wake in the morning to the crow of the rooster that Christ will deny us as we have denied him. God is faithful to his people and to those he loves. Two more things Jesus prepared these disciples for. First, he prepared his disciples for the resurrection. Verse 28, it's subtle. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, I, I still don't think the disciples are fully prepared for Jesus' death. I don't think they really believed it was going to happen. I don't know what was going on in their minds. I, I'm sure they had a sense that something significant is about to happen, but they certainly didn't understand the necessity of Christ's death. I doubt in this moment they fully understood what Jesus was saying. But Jesus was already making plans. Right? Jesus was so prepared for the crucifixion and the resurrection that he said, okay, so after I'm raised, remember this, meet me in Galilee. Jesus knew not only the Father's plan for his crucifixion, for his death, but also the Father's plan for his vindication, his resurrection on the third day. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And we, as we look back on these verses, we say, yep, it happened just as, just as he told them. And Jesus was preparing the disciples, right? But is, is there any way that these verses can prepare us? Is Jesus preparing us for anything? He is. He is. Because not all that Jesus foretold in these verses has yet come to pass. Take a look at verse 25 where Jesus prepared his disciples for the eternal kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Again, I don't think the disciples got the full weight of what Jesus was saying. But there around the table, as Jesus was explaining his crucifixion, saying, this is my body, this is my blood. I know we're celebrating Passover, but I'm the real Passover lamb. 
It's my blood that you need to cover your sin. It's my blood that you need to keep yourself from the wrath of God. Take my body, my, my blood. You need me. You need what's about to happen. Right? There around the table. And Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not going to drink this fruit of the vine, right? this wine, until the eternal kingdom of God. I'm not going to touch it. And in the same breath, he, he told us, right, do this in remembrance of me. Scripture records elsewhere. Jesus said that at the last supper. Do this in remembrance of me. So we, as Christians, weekly or monthly, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we taste of the fruit of the vine, and we eat the bread in remembrance of Jesus, proclaiming his death until he returns. Right? Saying, look at what Jesus did. Right? His body broken for me. His blood shed for me. I'm forgiven in him, praise the Lord, right? And we proclaim that when we take the Lord's Supper together. And we will until Christ returns, right? But we do so without Jesus physically at our table, right? The, the disciples celebrated the first Lord's Supper with Jesus at the table. We've been proclaiming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, every time we take it, right? And one day, in the kingdom of God, he'll sup with us again. Right? Because Jesus isn't done yet with his work. He's not done. He started his work, well, he started his work far before the cross, right? This is, it, the cross was God's plan of salvation from, from before the stars were born. We can see the work beginning to be fleshed out on the cross and then on his resurrection. He rose from the dead and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But this universe hasn't been remade yet, right? Jesus is resurrected, but Paul tells us Jesus is only the first fruits, right? He's the, he's the down payment, he's the deposit of resurrection. One day our bodies will be resurrected, right? Our, our souls will be finally and fully conformed to that of Christ's. And not only our bodies, but the whole of the cosmos will be remade. A new heavens, a new earth. And God will reign, Christ will reign for eternity in our presence again. Right? Like Just like it was back in the garden, we'll be reconciled to God forever by the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, Jesus. And we will eat at the table of the Lamb. And there is a literal day coming when we will sit at the table of the Lamb and the disciples will be there and the multitudes, the millions of those who have believed on the name of the Lamb will sup together and Jesus will again, for the first time since this night, raise his cup. And we will eat at the feasting table of the Lord forever. What a hope. What a promise. I usually have really practical applications. I try to. That's what they taught me. <laughs> and, and today, I, I think this is really practical. Okay? Um, I don't know what, what you're going through this week. Well, I do know some of you. Um, 
But here's the thing. Jesus was prepared for the cross. He knew it was coming. He's, he's the raft guide in your boat. He, he knew it was coming for the disciples. He's already told us what's coming in eternity. He's told us the last rapid, that's, that's eternal joy, right? Um, and between here and there, he's also sovereign, right? He knows this river. He knows your river. Jesus is prepared. He's not caught unaware, right? What would Steve say? He's not up in heaven. <laughs> what to do, what to do. That's, that's not the Lord we serve. Jesus is in your boat. And so with eyes of faith, let's fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Right? This week, there's a lot we can be discouraged about in the world, maybe in your own lives, in your family. Right? Take a look ahead. Look up. Look forward. Kingdom is coming. Christ is coming. Joy is coming. The Lord will make all things new. That's our hope. We live as pilgrims and strangers with eyes of faith, looking forward to our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great promises it contains. And we thank you for our Savior Jesus. Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? You sit enthroned, holy in the heavens, and yet you deigned to come and take on human flesh and die for us, for me, Lord. We are not worthy, and yet that's what grace is. You've given us so much in Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for reconciliation. Thank you for the promise of eternity future hope, the promise of resurrection, and your presence forever. We pray, Lord, that we would, we would live with our eyes fixed on eternity and our feet on the ground. You'd give us hope for the future, and that in that hope, we'd be able to live for you today and whatever will face us on Monday morning. that the joy of Jesus would be our strength. We pray all this in his name. Amen.